0: So just want to start off the teaching, I, I want to bring you back, and I know it's probably hard to even think of Christmas, uh, being in the Christmas spirit, you could say, being that we're in May, about to enter June, with the weather the way it is, and just knowing uh, that Christmas is, you know, a little far away uh, where it is now. But I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me pretty much in 2011. In 2011, usually we gather either, um, we do the homes, we go to Jen's um, mom's house, and then we go to my mom's house, and we're all together um, doing all the presents and things like that. But here we're at Jen's mom's house in Hillside, so we're gathered there, uh, Jen's brother's there, Jen is there, Jen's mom is there, Jen's grandparents are there, and we're exchanging gifts. And obviously we have no idea what we're gonna receive or what we're gonna receive from people. And all I know that all night long, Jen's brother was super ecstatic about the gift he was gonna give me. I have to confess I was a little nervous. I was like, what in the world did Danny get me? But he was super excited. He couldn't wait, but he was also prolonging everything. So everyone was receiving their gifts and this and that. And then I was just waiting there. And then in the end, he walked over to the Christmas tree and he ended up getting a bag. The biggest, like cheesiest smile was on his face. He was so excited. He's like, here you go, Carlos. And he like stood back like in amazement that that moment was actually about to take place for me to see the gift that he bought me. And how I said I was nervous, but, you know, my brother-in-law knows me very well. I was probably wondering what could be in the bag, a little baby husky or something. You know what I mean? A little baby husky, a little general style chicken with pork fried rice and an egg roll. Like I'm wondering why is he so excited about the gift he's about to give me. So as I go in and as I pull out each paper, all the papers came out at one point that It wasn't supposed to happen that way. So as I pull out each of the papers, the excitement kept building up. And then I feel down and I feel like it's something to wear. And all of a sudden I pull it out. All of a sudden I pull out a New Jersey Devil's jersey. An official New Jersey Devil's jersey. The first thing that came to my mind is like, how's a pastor gonna be promoting and celebrating the devils? But, um, but. He literally was so excited, Excited. he was running around the house, running around the house. He's like, you got your jersey, you got a jersey. And in my mind, I just kept saying to myself, I was like, Carlos, um, I know you probably have the look of shock in your face that you have a New Jersey Devils jersey. Um, wipe that look of shock out of your face and make sure you, you thank him for the gift that he gave you. Of course, I was very grateful for the gift that he gave me. As you can tell, and if you know me very well, I love sports so much, but I'm not a follower of sports. There's a, there's a big difference when it comes to that, and I'll let you know. Let me put this away, and believe it or not, I have used this. I've gone see, as to see the New Jersey Devils with this jersey on. I'll just put it here on top of the bag, but... Um, But here, there is a big difference. I'm a fan of sports. You invite me to a sports game and I'm there. I'm there. I'll make tons of noise. I'll cheer. I'll scream. I'll be a part of the game. And anyone that's near me will, they won't really know if, uh, how devoted I am to the, to the sport or to any specific team, you could say. But I will definitely play the part and I'll be cheering on the sidelines. The big difference is that Danny, he is a follower of sports. He doesn't just know about uh, pretty much, he doesn't just have the love of sports like the way I do. He actually follows it. So he'll be able to let you know every single player in the New Jersey Devils, how much money they're making, how long they've been there, where they were traded from, what colleges they went to. He could give you any detail when it comes to the stats, exactly how they're doing, the predictions and the forecast of how they feel as though they're going. End up doing in the season, he is a die hard follower. I'm just a fan of sports, he's a die hard follower of sports, not only of the Devils, but of so many other um teams as well. But then I want you to realize too you have fans, you have followers like my brother um in law, and then you also have the players the players that are actually in the game. The players, they're devoting everything to make things happen. Happen. They're the ones that pretty much put their lives on the line to be able to get the wins, to advance the puck, advance the ball down the field or down the court. They're the ones doing what needs to be done to be able to see things accomplished. So they're in an arena or in a field Or in a pretty much in a core in a stadium, you could easily say how you could easily see how there's fans like me. You could easily see how there's followers like my brother-in-law, but you could also see those that are actually playing in the game, paying the price, putting everything in the line, making a difference. They eat, sleep, and breathe the game. That's all they dream about because they're in it, they're engulfed in it. So spiritually speaking, I want us to understand, and I know I've talked about this in the past, but I think it's so important in a day like today, Pentecost Sunday. You know, spiritually speaking, there's a lot of fans that show up to the games. Fans are the ones that show up on Sunday mornings. Pretty much, they might just show up on Sunday mornings. They may make the same way how I was. I'm a fan of sports. Pretty much, they might make a lot of noise. They might cheer. They might pretty much love being in the environment. But that's pretty much the extent to it. You see, Jesus had a lot of fans when when he walked this earth too people that would just tag along, gather along, just try to go on the journey, cheer from a distance, but that's pretty much the extent of what the fans do. You know, they might show up on Sunday mornings, they might show up to specific events, but that's the extent of what fans do. Are you a fan? Is that all you do? When it comes to your relationship with God? Or are you a follower? Now, a follower, it's the next level type of thing. You see, a follower, they just don't show up. They know more. They know the Bible. You know, they know, th- they could quote you a couple of verses. They know the lingo. They know that God bless you. They know all the different things when it comes to different church life. Um, they also, they also know how to represent. They know how to represent God in a sense. Maybe they're not representing God the way they're supposed to, but they know how to represent God. They know how to pretend to be in the game. They might even volunteer, okay? They might even volunteer. They might volunteer, but let me tell you something. Those that are followers, they volunteer only when it's convenient to them. Only when it's convenient. Only when it's not something that's gonna interrupt their schedule, Followers, they're, they're more concerned in getting things done the, the way they want to get done. And when it comes to what God has for them, they fit it in their schedule. If it's going to cost them something, if it's, if it's going to cost them to sacrifice something, they'll draw the line, followers, because they're only going to take it so far. They're not fo- they're not in the game. They're not fully in the game. They're pretty much dabbling their feet a little bit maybe just to justify in their mind that they're doing something for God. You see, only if it's convenient, only if it's comfortable, only if it fits in their schedule, it doesn't disrupt things pretty much the way that they would want to. And a lot of of times followers, they do the bare minimum, the bare minimum, the bare minimum of what's required, the bare minimum of what it, it pretty much might look like uh to show that you're doing something are you a follower of god just a follower because god wants to take you so much deeper and then when i was telling you about the sports i I talked about being in the game and being in the game is being a disciple being in the game is being a disciple a disciple is someone that's making a difference the disciple is someone that's in the game, paying the price, putting everything on the line. They eat, breathe, and sleep God's will. It's not about convenience. It's not about comfort. It's not. They don't, I don't. They don't question if they have to sacrifice things. They put everything on the line. They realize it's it's God with everything, and everything falls backwards in a sense. God first, and everything else second. And when it comes to someone says a disciple, they're willing to follow God no matter where he might lead them. But you know what it is? It's not easy to be a disciple. It's not easy to draw the line and just follow God wholeheartedly no matter where he might take you. It might not, it, it might... For us, just even the thought of having things disrupted in our schedule or things out of our control in a sense when it comes to not knowing where God's gonna lead us next might be something too hard for us to do, but that requires trust. That requires you to trust them with all your heart, knowing that God knows best and he's leading you. You see, God doesn't want you to just to be a fan of his. There were a lot of fans in biblical times of Jesus. God doesn't want you to just be a follower of his. You know, you, you might own a Bible, might own a lot of Bibles. You might be, go to church every Sunday, but yet you're not a disciple. God wants you to be a disciple. He wants you to be all in, in the game. Are you a disciple of his? And that's a question you need to ask yourself. You see, Jesus said in John chapter four, verse thirty-four, and I think this is such a powerful verse. The disciples were talking to him, and he he said to the disciples, "My food," said Jesus, "is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work." He said clearly, "My food is to do the will, do the will who sent Him, and to um, finish the work that He's given." Now, when you think about that, that was Jesus' food. That was his nourishment. That was his sustenance. He wanted to do the will of God and accomplish the work that he's, um was given to do. Now, when you think about it, are you in that same place? Because obviously he said that to the disciples for the disciples to realize, hey, there's something deeper. There's something greater that you need to live your life doing. Now, I wonder if you're in the game like that, the way Jesus is, that you could say that your food, because I know for a fact, when we get up in the morning, we think about food. You think of breakfast, you think of that pancake, that bacon, you know, you think of lunch, you think of dinner. I know I do, so I'm assuming everyone else does too. So when you think about food, we think of the physical food, but here Jesus is talking about spiritual food. Every single day that he lives, he wants to accomplish the will of the one that sent him. Do we see life that way? Because that is someone, of course, that's eating, sleeping, and breathing the will of God. Wanting to do what God wants him to do. You see, today we're continuing our series called Miracles, Living by Faith and Not by Sight. And today's title is the miracle of Pentecost. And of course, Pentecost is where there were 120 people gathered in the upper room and God's presence came in power and flooded the room. Pretty much is the birthday of the church, you could say. When the church was launched and God's presence came down in power. I know more than ever before, we need God's presence to flood our world God's presence to flood our streets, God's presence to flood our country, to bring healing, not only physical healing with everything that's happening, but spiritual healing, emotional healing. There's so much pain that so many people are experiencing at this moment, so much anger, so much hurt throughout this world, throughout our country. And God's presence needs to flood the streets, But I wanna ask you something. I mentioned how in Pentecost, there were 120 gathered in the upper room. Were they fans? Were they followers? No. The 120 that were gathered were the disciples. All the fans and followers, they fell off pretty much afterwards. But here you have 120 disciples wanting to do God's will, wanting to be obedient to what God wanted um, them to do. And when you think of how many people did Jesus talk to, how many thousands of people he must have encountered throughout his ministry, but yet there were just 120 that decided that they wanna do God's will and put God first over everything. I don't know about you, but I wanna be one of that 120 group you could say here it's like there's so many fans so many followers I want to be part of that small group that is not going to chase after the world that's not going to chase after so many other things but only chase after God and I believe deep down inside you want to be in that group as well because you wouldn't be watching this service if you wouldn't want to You're watching this service because at some point in your life, God touched your life. God impacted your life. But there's something so many times that we hold back from giving God everything that he deserves. You see, everyone in the upper room were disciples. The fans and followers already fell off the radar Jesus spoke about this big day of Pentecost ahead of time too. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 14, starting at verse 16. And here he's talking to his disciples of what's to come. Okay. He says this, And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I love that, forever. So the advocate, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever from this physical life and into all eternity. God's presence will be with us, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, pretty much saying, you know, the fans and those that are even followers really can't accept them because it neither sees them nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So there he pretty much just says, there's someone coming. And that's from Acts, he's referring to what's going to happen in Acts chapter two of God's presence coming down in Pentecost. But I want to highlight something there before he told the disciples that the advocate was coming, that God's presence was going to come, he said something else to them. So we're going to go up a little bit from and we're going to read it all together, starting at verse twelve. It says this: verily, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing okay I'm just going to even pause there I'm going to drink a little bit of water and give you a second to even think about that statement that Jesus said. Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, now obviously believes there, it's not just having thoughts or you believe in him from a shallow standpoint, it's fully entrust and committed to who he is, will do the works I have been doing. So the ministry that Jesus was doing, here Jesus says, hey, you'll be able to do that same type of ministry as well. Then he says, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Obviously, anything in my name means something according to his will. And then it says, if you love me, keep my commands. There you see, their disciples. they're disciples. They're the ones that follow him close in relationship. And Jesus is reminding them, hey, we have to stay close. Keep my commands. And then he says, and I will ask the father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So here Jesus says, hey, being in a relationship with me, following my commands, being a disciple of mine, you will do the same things I do and even greater works as well. So we know that in Acts chapter two, God's presence came down in power. And I wanna highlight to you in the book of Acts, after that, there's 20 at least 20 specific miracles that happened. And I'm not gonna highlight all the miracles because we'll be here too too long, of course. And at least nine times where there were clusters of miracles that happened in the book of Acts because of Pentecost. I'm just gonna highlight a couple. The lame man healed in Acts chapter three. The imprisoned apostles, Freed by an angel in Acts chapter 5. Dorcas restored to life in Acts chapter 9. Demons cast out of a slave girl in Acts chapter 16. Paul freed from prison by an earthquake in Acts chapter 16. Paul unaffected by a viper's bite in Acts chapter 28. And then clusters of miracles. In Acts chapter 2, it says there were many wonders and signs. In Acts chapter 5, it said, again, many wonders and signs. In Acts chapter 5, it also even said that even the shadow of Peter healed people. As Peter walked by, God's presence was so strong with them, it was even his shadow touching people that would get healed. In Acts chapter 6, it says that Stephen did great wonders and signs. In Acts chapter 8, it said the multitudes saw and um, they experienced miracles because of what Philip did. In Acts chapter 14, it said the Lord granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands, the disciples' hands. In Acts chapter 15, Barnabas and Paul did many miracles and wonders. Um, God worked through them. In Acts chapter 19, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. And the list could go on and on. God's presence was active. God's presence was touching lives. There were miracles happening left and right. This this series is called Miracles. Miracles living by faith and not by sight, believing God for the impossible, knowing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I wonder if in so many ways we've been conditioned to think that God is not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now I want to say something before we move forward. Of course, in the book of Acts, there were many healings and miracles because of what happened in Pentecost. But still, bad things happen to good people. Just because just because you're following God and God's presence in your, is in your life, you're not immune for things to happen to you. And there's moments where God doesn't answer your prayer. And all you have to do is look at Paul's life. Paul, um, it's highlighted too in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's highlighted that p- during the time period of Acts, Paul was whipped 39 times, um, 39, 39 lashes five times, beaten with rods three times, ship, shipwrecked three times, adrift on the sea for 24 hours, often sleepless, hungry, thirsty, Cold, and he even became a martyr, tradition of course says, for Jesus. So here you see someone that walked in faith and saw miracles in their lives, but yet went through difficult times as well. So I wanted to bring that up just so that we would know that we're not immune, of course, to the things that could happen negative as well. But I know what you're probably thinking. Where are the miracles now? You're probably thinking, okay, great. That's pretty much what's highlighted in the Bible. That's pretty much what's highlighted in the book of Acts. But where are the miracles now? You're probably thinking, hey, Carlos, I haven't seen miracles. I don't. I actually don't even believe probably you're thinking that, you don't believe that God could do miracles. And here we are doing this series, miracles, believing God for the impossible, living by faith and not by sight. And the reason why we're doing this is because we know that God is real. We know, I know that God's doing miracles every single day around us, whether we see it and we do, or we don't see it, whether we choose to acknowledge it or we choose not to acknowledge it. God is always active. I know that our God is not sleeping. God is not taking a nap through all this. God is always active. God is always moving. God is always doing miracles. But we're probably wondering, it's like, you know, but how come we don't see it? I tell you, God is doing them. And so many other Christians that even are here watching this live stream, they could testify that God is doing amazing things. But for some of us, we can't see it. Now today, I'm gonna be very candid, okay? I'm gonna be very honest when it comes to this type of situation. Now, it might hurt a little bit, so I'm going to, I'm going to like preface this a little bit. So with what I say, if it hurts you, you know, just say, ouch, you know, you can even comment be like, ouch, me duele mi corazón con lo que dijiste. You know what I mean? Like it hurts my heart with what you um, just said. I'm going to keep it real. You give me permission to keep it real. I'll, I'll keep it real, but it's gonna hurt a little bit. So usually, usually, usually I don't warn you when something is gonna hurt a little bit. I'm gonna give you a little warning on this one, okay? A little warning. So it's so funny because in the church, in the church office, I'm not gonna tell you who started, uh, this in the church office. Some of you know the different people we have working in the church. but. It's funny when something is not working right, uh, in the church office. Um, like, you know, maybe you're at the copier and you're trying to do something and it's not working in the copier or you're doing something in the computer and it's not working right. Um, this person likes to say, uh, they whisper under their breath, user error, user error. That's what they say, user error. And then I'm like, I'm like thinking, and obviously what they're, they're saying is there's nothing wrong with the copier. There's nothing wrong with the computer. It's the person that's trying to use the copier and use the computer that where there's certain problems and certain issues in the way. So I got. I wanna let you know, you know what? There's no problem when it comes to God doing what God does. There's no issues with God. God is doing miracles all the time. When it comes to us not being able to experience what God wants to do in our lives to the level and power and the authority of God's presence to bring God's presence through the streets of this um, pretty much world and bring healing and miracles and to impact lives because we know that there's so much anger, so much stuff happening in this world right now. But the only answer is Jesus. We need to come to God, come to God in prayer. We need to stand in the gap because God is the only one that could transform someone's heart. And we need God to use us to impact other people's lives. So how I told you before, there's nothing wrong from God's end. What if what's wrong is from our end? What if it's user error? We're trying to allow God to use us and pretty much be a part of our lives, but we've created an issue. We've created a problem in this. And I'm gonna highlight something. You see, some of us have settled to simply be a fan or follower. God's presence in Pentecost didn't come down upon fans and followers. It came upon disciples that pretty much laid down their entire life to advance God's kingdom in this world. If you're a fan and follower of pretty much of Jesus, pretty much you're limiting yourself on what God could do in your life. You're limiting yourself. You're making a decision that you don't want to lay down everything and be in the game. So how's God going to trust you with his presence at that level? We always talk about us trusting God. How about how does God trust us? It's not just about us trusting God. Does God trust you? And I want to tell you something. The problem is that we want to experience Pentecost according to our terms the Pentecost experience pretty much. And when I talk about Pentecost experience, I'm not just talking about God's presence coming upon your life. I'm talking about living in that power, in that authority that the disciples lived them in, lived in in the book of Acts. But what it is is that we want that, but we want it in our terms. We want it for it to fit in our schedule. As long as it's convenient and comfortable. As long as it doesn't disrupt things, we want it. As long as it doesn't sacrifice, it doesn't take my whole life to be laid down to follow God, I'm willing to do that. And I tell you something too, it's like a lot of us, we turn to God wanting his presence and power. Maybe for, for some of us, the goosebumps we might feel when it comes to God's presence. Or just you feel good when you're around God's presence. God's presence came down for a purpose and a reason and a mission. It was for all of us to be, become his witnesses and be able to advance his kingdom. It wasn't to make us feel good. It wasn't to feed our, what we want according to our terms. It's amazing how we turn to God so many times because we want God to do things according to our terms. I don't know, the last time I checked, we're not God. That's God. God is God. And we do things according to his terms, not our terms. So I think we need to put away the little spiritual contract that we sit down at the table with with God and pretty much say, hey God, I'm willing to follow you according to this. No, 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 we have to rip up that contract and follow God according to his terms to experience what he has for us. You see, when you think about it, one of the best ways to learn, we might think, you know, obviously it's to read or to be in a classroom setting with a teacher and be able to listen to the teacher. Those are great ways to learn. But one of the most powerful ways to learn is to see the example being modeled in front of you. When it, someone's modeling you uh, in front of you what you need to do, that's the best way to learn because you're seeing it lived out in this world. And I'm going to give you an example. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, follow my example as I follow my, uh, the example of Christ. So here he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, you know what? I know you're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. Follow my example. Follow my lead. Look at my life. As I follow God, that will be your example. Also, like in the New Living Translation, it says this. It says, imitate imitate me, Paul is saying, as I imitate God. So it's like the best way we could learn. One of the best ways is when it's modeled in front of us. And we know that Jesus, of course, he lived out everything he preached. He modeled it for us to be able to see. We know Jesus loved illustrations. He loved stories and everything he said, everything he did, the timing of everything has a reason and a purpose behind it. I really believe as much as we might dive into the scriptures, we might like, we're only when we get to heaven, are we ever going to even scratch the surface of how deep the scriptures and the meaning of everything is. But I believe Jesus with his own life was modeling the stages that we need to go through to really experience and to walk in the power and the authority that he wants us to live in as disciples. See, Jesus died, he was resurrected, he ascended to the throne, and then Pentecost happened 10 days later. And we're going to go through each one one by one. But I believe even these those four things Jesus died, he resurrected, ascended to the throne and Pentecost, I don't believe that even those stages that we normally just celebrate when it comes to moments of Jesus's life, of things that happen in the Bible, I think there's even a deeper meaning that he was showing us a path of how we need to follow him. We need to follow his example. We need to imitate him in the way that he goes on his journey so that we could walk in victory and in the power that he wants us to. So we're gonna dive in a little deeper. So first, the first scene I wanna highlight, pretty much the first phase is Jesus dying on the cross. And of course that's Good Friday. And the first point I want us to um, write down, you're gonna see it on the screen is this, it says this, we are called to die on the cross. We know on Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross, but we're called to die on the cross as well. Of course, I'm not telling you about a physical cross. I don't want you to run, a, run to Home Depot and buy some wood and some nails, okay? Don't go to Home Depot, Lowe's. You know It's too congested right there right now. So I'm not talking about physical cross, but you'll see what I mean. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple. Do you want to be his disciple? Do you want to be his disciple? It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It's not about what you want to do anymore. It's about what God wants to do. Okay, put your schedule to the side, put your agenda to the side, put your dreams to the side, put your careers to the side, put your priorities to the side, put everything that you put before God to the side. And then he says, and take up their cross and follow me. Right there, Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna go down this path to die. I'm asking you to go down this path to die as well. Have you died for Jesus? We are called to die on the cross. And when I say die on the cross, is to die to ourselves. Jesus' life, he's showing us the stages that he wants to. Think about this. He was walking with his disciples up to this point, and his own life is pretty much setting up stages and the phases that he wants us to follow through with. His own life and his own experiences that Jesus went through was a massive illustration for us to learn from as well. And all along, he was dropping the key verses and statements for us to understand. You see, Paul understood it. In Galatians chapter two, verse 20, it says this. I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Here, Paul is saying, it's like, hey, Paul does not live anymore. I could almost imagine Paul saying, it's like, I did a funeral for Paul. Paul doesn't live anymore. I've been crucified with Christ. And then it says, I no longer live. So from Paul's perspective, whatever Paul wanted to do, it's no longer in importance anymore. He's not a fan. He's not a follower, just knows about Jesus. No, no, no. He's in the game. He's laying everything down. He's pushing, carrying the ball down the field. He's willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. He's breathing, eating, and living what it means to do God's will. His food is to accomplish what God has called him to do. What's your food? What are you eating spiritually? Because for so many of us, what we're eating spiritually is what, what, what we want, what satisfies us, what pretty much clears our conscience to make us feel like we're doing something for God. When in reality, we're missing the boat. You could put ouch there if you want at this moment, because for some of us it might be like, ouch. You know, we're just missing the target and we're not aligned to what God wants us to do and accomplish in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I know life, I mean, we don't have to go too far. We could easily see that life is short. Some of us, we've lost loved ones during this time period as well. Life is extremely short to play games. Life is extremely short to be chasing after things that leave us empty. Life is extremely short to have a fake, superficial, artificial Christianity. You wonder where the miracles are? God is not gonna pour his presence upon people that wanna have an artificial, superficial walk with him. God's power and presence and authority goes to those that are willing to lay everything down. And you know what? That's a choice. What's amazing with this, it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. You could start today to make that decision. Today, some of us, we've known God all of our lives, but yet now we're living an artificial, superficial life with him. Or some of us, we've lived a sinful life all of our life, but you might be hearing this message and you're like, you know what? I'm tired of that life. You're invited to die to yourself and to follow Jesus as well. But the choice is yours. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the first point, if you wanna take notes, you can write it down on your paper, is we're called to die on the cross. That call is for each and every one of us. Number two, the second scene and phase of Jesus' life, how he's modeling for us as well what it means to be on this journey. He rose from the dead. He resurrected three days later after he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. The second point is this, we are called to a new resurrected life. We're called to a new resurrected life. It's not so much just to die to ourselves, but God wants to raise us up to a new resurrected life so that his spirit could transform us from the inside out and so that the fruits of the spirit could be displayed through our lives. And all of a sudden people could see our life and they could see Jesus in our lives. In Romans 6 verse 4, it says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life. So here it's like Jesus resurrected and we're called to this resurrected life. If your life now knowing Jesus looks exactly the same of what it was before when you didn't know Jesus, There's something wrong in that journey. Something, or there's nothing wrong with God. Right there, there's something wrong in that journey. You might've not surrendered everything. You didn't decide to die on the cross. You didn't allow and submit to the Holy Spirit to bring the new resurrected life out of your life. God is calling us for so much more. In Romans chapter eight, starting at verse eight, it says this, those who are in the the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Those, I'm just gonna even repeat that. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. That's why you have to die to your, you have to die to your flesh, highlighting the Good Friday, you could say. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then you, though, your body is subject to death because of sin. The spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if it is, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So pretty much they're highlighting just the fact that God's spirit wants to give us new life. And in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, it says this, therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. So there we highlighted Good Friday. We highlighted the resurrection, how God's calling us to a resurrected life. And then of course, we know that Jesus walked through the earth even after he got resurrected for 40 days, 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven. And as the next phase, he ascended to the heaven and sat on the right hand of Father God. He sat in the throne, in the right hand of God. And that's where we pick up the number third, the third phase that we need to learn from is this. We're called to walk in his authority. God calls us to walk in his authority. Some of us, we, we did phase one. We've died to ourselves. We, we could say we've, we've been crucified with Christ. Some of us, we've reached phase two, where all of a sudden we, we saw the newness, the newness that God did in our life, the resurrection that he did within us. That all of a sudden we lived the new life. But most of us stop right there. Most of us don't realize that Jesus ascended and is sitting on the right hand of the Father, sitting on the throne, and we don't understand what it is to walk and live in His authority. Some of us have paused there our Christianity, our Christianity. We feel as though there's no more to go, but we're missing out on what God wants to do in our lives. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 to 20, it says this, Right before he ascended, um, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So right there he's saying, he's like, look, I have all authority. And then he says, therefore go. And we know that he's given us authority. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So right there, I want you to see something. His authority was linked to a purpose. He said, therefore go. He's received all authority. But all of a sudden it tells you what to do to go make disciples. There is a purpose behind his authority. There's a purpose behind God's presence is to accomplish God's will. When you're living to do what the master wants you to do, when you're living to do what the king wants you to do, he says he's never going to leave you. He says he's never gonna forsake you. He says that he's gonna empower you and give you the authority. He's gonna be with you so that you could execute his will on this earth. But how I said, we're called to walk in his authority, but do we even realize that's the case? Or or do we forget what God has said? In Ephesians chapter two, verse six, and I talked about this a little bit when I taught last time, it says this. And God raised us up with Christ. You could say ascended us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So think about that. Spiritually speaking, the place that we have is sitting with Jesus on his throne. If you forget everything else that I said today, just chew on that for a while. That spiritually speaking, where you are spiritually, if you're surrendered to Christ and living for him and understanding your identity and walking in the authority and anointing and power of God's presence, you're sitting on the throne with Jesus on the right hand of Father God. But you know what happens? If you don't realize your... uh, your. Pretty much identity. We know Jesus is the king of kings. We're kings. We're queens. God is the king, but we're kings as well. We're sitting on the throne with him. And obviously it's his authority. It's his power. It's He's pretty much granted us the permission to sit there because of what he did, the sacrifice because of what he did. But if we just listen to what the world has to say about who we are, if all we listen to, what shapes our identity is what our haters say, what the world says, what Facebook says, what the media says, what our mama says, what our dad has said, what other people that don't like us said, if that's what's shaping our identity, all of a sudden you have forfeited your place sitting on the throne. You've walked off the throne yourself saying, I, that's not the identity I have. That's not the authority that I have. But let me tell you, God expects you to walk in his authority to be able to navigate and execute God's presence to touch this world. But are we doing that ourselves? In so many ways, we're not. In Luke chapter nine, verses one through two, um, two it says this: When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. See, I, I love that. Like even there, he's like he's giving his disciples. Power and authority. And I just want to highlight, he didn't give the fans power and authority. You know what I mean? He didn't give the fans power and authority. He didn't give just simple followers power and authority. He gave his disciples power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, I want to let you know this too. I I mentioned this last time I taught. Jesus' ministry could boil down to this. Proclaiming the gospel, healing the sick, and delivering the captives. That was Jesus' ministry. Jesus left pretty much left the work to continue with his disciples and said, hey, keep doing the same work and I'm gonna give you the power and authority so you could do the same things I did and even greater things because of course, Jesus was only one person in one place. Here you have disciples pretty much yielding the power and authority that Jesus had, multiplying themselves throughout the entire world is gonna become greater and greater. And he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's Jesus's mission statement. And that's our mission statement too. We are called to do the same thing in our lives. But his power and authority is when we're walking in his will to do it. Where are the miracles? God is doing a lot of miracles still. It's just that sometimes we're not allowing him to do it in and through us, but he wants to. But maybe today is the first time you realize it's like, you know what? I've settled, I've settled for less. I've settled for less. So the fourth phase, okay? So we we talked about dying on the cross. We talked about pretty much how we have to die as well. We talked about how he resurrected and how we have to be raised to new life. We talked about Jesus, how he ascended and how we also have to live where he is, spiritually speaking, sitting on the throne on the right side of the father, using his authority and pretty much the power that he's given us. And then of course, next is Pentecost. So after Jesus ascended, 10 days later is when God's presence came down in power. So the fourth thing is this. We're called to receive his power for his purpose. And I mentioned that before. We were called to receive his power for his purpose. There's a reason for his power to be in our lives. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says, but you will receive power. And this was before he ascended into heaven. He said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, uh, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The power was to accomplish his purpose. So I wanna ask you, Where are you in those phases? Because here in the last phase, how I said, we're called to receive his power for his purpose. God wants to pour his presence upon your life in ways beyond your wildest dreams. You can't even imagine, you can't even imagine the things that God would have planned for you. One of the things that in my mind, sometimes I always think about is like, the last thing I want is to get to heaven and see Jesus and, and, and him look at me and say, you know what? You, you missed out. You held back. You didn't go all in. Like, you know what I mean? Like in my mind, it's like, and you know what's crazy is that we know that the enemy lies to us. And the enemy, like, he's not gonna come straight out to your face and say, deny Jesus. You know, he's not gonna do stuff like that. But if he gets you to believe one lie and puts that down as a brick In your mind, all of a sudden he gets you to believe another lie, right? Then he puts another brick next to that brick. And little by little, he starts stacking the bricks of lies in your life. And all of a sudden, you're surrounded by the lies of the enemy. Day in and day out, when you wake up, go to work, go to school, live your life, you get so used to those bricks, you think those bricks is reality. You might read the Bible. You know that God is the God of miracles, but yet you believe the lies that are surrounding you. For some of us, there's been so many bricks that the enemy has placed, they're at eye level in our minds. Forget about them being by your feet, trying to trip you up. No, 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 they've surrounded you and they're at eye level. It's hard for you to even believe the Bible anymore because the lies have been with you for such a long time They've become your new reality. And God has to come. And let me tell you something. This is something you both do. God wants to come to tear down that stronghold in your life. But all this time, you've been holding a sledgehammer in your hands. That's what's crazy is that we have the authority, you know, to be able to walk in victory. So it's almost like you have the sledgehammer in your hand but yet you still allow yourself to be trapped because your mind pretty much has you trapped. So many times you might see a huge animal, let's say uh, an elephant tied down for little rope with a peg on the ground, with a peg on the ground. And all of a sudden you might think it's like, yo, that elephant, that elephant weighs like, you know what I mean? Like how much? I don't even know. Go Google it. Not now, not during the teaching, Google it later. All right. How much does that elephant weigh? That elephant, all he has to do is like pretty much fall to his side and break that rope, break that chain, break that, all that. But yet that elephant feels as though he can't go nowhere. Right now, there's so many of you that are watching right now. You feel as though you can't go anywhere. You feel as though you're trapped, you're confined. And I'm not talking about physically. Some of you would be like, look, I'm in quarantine. I am trapped and confined. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. Spiritually, you're trapped and confined by your addictions, by pretty much the demonic influences that are tearing you apart, tormenting you, pretty much your addictions, the the bitterness, your anger, your hurts, everything that you might be going through in your life. A lot of times we allow ourselves to be trapped, but God wants to set us free. So I wanna ask you, where are you in that? And how I told you, what if Jesus being the amazing storyteller, illustration person, what if even his own life in those phases is the example that he's calling each of us to go deeper with him so we could experience Pentecost? Because yes, today's Pentecost Sunday, but I don't want to just celebrate something that happened back then I wanna celebrate what God is doing today with his presence and power in my life and in your life. So are you willing to die on the cross? Are you willing to lay it all down? Are you willing to be resurrected to a new life or is the old life still pulling you down and you rather do what the world is like calling you to do? Are you willing to live in the identity and the authority and the power of being seated in the right hand of God with with Jesus and understanding the authority that he's given you. And I understand for some of us, this might be something new for us to wrestle with. I encourage you to dive deeper in the scripture. Ask God to reveal to you more things. And then also when you think about it, lastly, as you walk in the authority, And in God's presence, God pours his presence upon our life with power because it's according to his purpose in Pentecost. So where are you in that stage? Something we mentioned, I I forgot to mention before the teaching or before service started, but something we posted is that we we are going to do communion now. So even if you don't have the elements at this moment, believe me, I'd rather you just stay here at this moment with us than running to the kitchen and missing the moment. Here, the main thing with communion, and we're gonna take it, and if you have your elements, we'll, we'll take this. So many times when we take communion, we, we just see it as doing it in remembrance of what Jesus did. Like just do this like remembering that Jesus paid the price as if there's no responsibility from our end on what we have to do or the price that we have to pay or the journey we have to go on, as if we don't have to go and carry our own cross and deny ourselves, as if we're not expected to be resurrected to new life, as if we're not expected to walk in the authority the kingly authority that Jesus has given us, as if we're not expected to receive God's power and presence for his purpose. We just a lot of times take communion just to remember, but that's not the case. I mean, even highlighting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20, starting at verse 23, but we're gonna read that in a second. There it's highlighting how Jesus had the Last Supper but I wanna to highlight to you verse 28 in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. And the reason why I'm highlighting that verse is because that verse clearly shows you right there that taking communion is not just doing it in remembrance of Jesus and disconnecting yourself as if you don't have no responsibility. In in what God expects you to do in your journey with Him, right there it says, no 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 no. Before you take the blood and the bread, um, symbolic of the blood and bread, uh, the body, it says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. It says you have to examine yourself. You have to know how you're living. Because you know what? This isn't about just remembering what he did. No, 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 no. Every time you take the bread and every time you take the cup and you remember what he did, it's a reminder that you're on this journey too. Every time you take that cup, you remember what he did because you're supposed to follow in his steps. You're supposed to go on that journey as well. So you know what? You got to examine yourself because you just don't take it to remember. You have to examine yourself because if all of a sudden you're letting your flesh reign, if all of a sudden Jesus is not king, if all of a sudden you're not allowing the new resurrected life to occur, if all of a sudden you're forfeiting your identity and, and authority and power that God's given you, if all of a sudden you're treating carelessly God's presence, and the Bible talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit, And we wonder where God's presence is. We wonder where God's power is in our life. We just keep grieving the Holy Spirit because we haven't died to ourselves. We haven't resurrected to a new life. We're not living in his authority and power and we're not doing things according to his purpose. God wants to do amazing things in our lives. And today's Pentecost Sunday is, you know what? Like even going into this Sunday, I was thinking it's like, like I wanted to keep it as real as I could today. You know, I, I didn't want to do a little teaching, you know, just, just to tickle your ears and make you feel good. No, 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 no. this isn't about, this, you got the wrong church. Well, you got the wrong church. This church is not about just saying whatever you might enjoy listening to. This church is just to speak the truth and tell you what you need to listen to. You know what I mean? I want to lead you to where you need to go, not where you want to go. So many of us, we want to go certain places. I don't want to take you where you want to go. I want to take you where you need to go. And this is where we need to go. So this Pentecost Sunday, as we take this communion, this communion, it's not just remembering what Jesus did. It's for you to remember where you're at today, because for you to examine your life. So I'm gonna read this passage, but even before, I just wanna even take a moment for everyone watching to bow their heads. And if you need to ask God for forgiveness as you examine yourself, I want you to do that even now. Just just turn to God. What's amazing with God is that none of us are perfect. We all slip, we all like get sidetracked. But what's amazing with God, if we generally come to him and surrender to him and like give him our hearts, he's there to heal us. He's there to lift us up wherever we might find ourselves. So even now, I wanna give you that moment to ask God for forgiveness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 starting at verse 23 it says this For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you The Lord Jesus on the, on the night that he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said This is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me Take the body Father God, I thank you so much for everyone that's watching even now. I thank you because you're God. In the midst of what everything that's happening in this world, pretty much it appears like it's chaos what's happening overall, um, pretty much with the pandemic and pretty much all the anger, the hate, the injustice and everything that's happening throughout the world when you hear of earthquake, um, the wars and One thing after another, there's so much happening around the world, but you are God, you're sitting on the throne. And more than ever before, we need you, God. Our country needs you, God. Our lives need you, our hearts need you. And right now, God, so many times we might feel helpless, like how could we do to bring healing to our nation? What could we do to bring healing to our world? God, let us start with us, God. God, let us start within our own little worlds, God. But God, you're the only one that could transform a heart. You're the only one that could heal a heart, God. You're the only one that could convict hearts, God. So God, right now, this moment, we just surrender our lives to you. And we just ask you, God, to forgive us, God, forgive us for chasing after so many different things. Forgive us, God, if we've convinced ourselves to have a that we had a relationship with you when we really didn't, God. God, forgive us, God, for allowing ourselves to have a superficial or artificial walk with you. God, we wanna be in the game. We wanna be all in, God. God, we want to advance your kingdom. We want to be carriers of your presence, God. We want wherever we go, when we step into our workplace, God, may your presence be felt wherever we go, God. When we step into a store, when we're talking to someone else, Lord God, wherever we walk or go, God, may your presence be so powerful in our lives, God, that your peace and your healing, God, would just transcend everything, God. So God, we just surrender and we want to be your instruments of peace. We want to be your instruments of healing. We want to be your instruments of power and authority here on this earth. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us and being with us. Continue to know that We here at this church, we're dedicated to help you in this journey in any way that we can. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. God bless you.